0: Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. We're going to look at verse 26. We're going to look at beginning with verse 26. And our focus will be on verses 29 through 30. On these Sunday mornings... When we have left off of Second Samuel, which we will resume in January, we uh, have been asking the question, Why should you come to Christ for salvation, to be saved? That's the terminology of the Bible. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the question has been... What must I do to be saved? And of course, Christ is the answer to that question repentance and faith in Christ, toward, repentance toward God and faith in Christ. But today, the question seems to be why should I be saved? You know, we're raising up a generation that doesn't even know what sin is anymore. Nothing's sinful, nothing's wrong, everything's relative. How dare you refer to anyone as being sinful? And if you do so, it's because you're phobic about something, one or the other. And so we've been asking the question, why? And I hope we have provided some answers, and I'm sure we have. Uh, So far, we've learned that a man or a woman or a boy or a girl needs to be saved from their sin because God is offended. By their sin. The wages of sin is death. And we have a holy God. The creator of all things. Second reason. Is God is offering salvation. He's a God of grace and kindness and mercy. And wants to save us from our sins. Third reason is. Is God is only saving people through Christ. There's no other way of salvation. None. Whatsoever. The Christ of the New Testament. The Christ that is given to us, granted, that's revealed to us through the New Testament is the only Savior of the world. And then we also saw that a man needs to be saved or someone needs to be saved because there's a hell to avoid. And then we saw there's a testimony to experience. God wants to change your life. He wants to give you uh, something to talk about. And we talked about life before you met Christ. The encounter you had with Christ and then life after Christ and how God has changed your life. And He does. If you've been saved, your life's been changed. There's no doubt about it. You, can't, you cannot have the God who spoke all things into existence, created all things, has done mighty acts. You can't have the God who parted the Red Sea come into your life and it not change you. And then we saw where there's a heaven to gain. And today we're going to give one more reason why you need to be saved. But before I do, I want to remind you that next week we will uh, celebrate uh, with uh, some worship music pertaining to the Christmas season. The birth of Christ. Celebrate the birth of Christ. We also partake of the Lord's Supper. I want to encourage you now to be preparing for the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is one of two ordinances given to the local church. It's not given to anybody else. It's given to the local church. And it is another picture, as baptism is a picture we paint when we partake of the ordinance. The ordinance of the Lord's Supper is a picture, and it's a call to memory And to remember what Christ has done for us and His shed blood for us and uh, His broken body for us. And the Lord's Supper is not for everybody. It is for those who have been born again and have followed the Lord in obedience through believers' baptism. And I get asked the question an awful lot, what about children? Well, if they've been saved and have obeyed the Lord in believers' baptism, the Lord's Supper for them. And so I want to encourage you parents, if your child is saved and has been biblically baptized and followed baptism in obedience, that you uh, don't let them go to children's church next week. Let them stay in here and partake of the Lord's Supper and remember and call to memory what Christ has done for us on the cross. Amen? Amen. And that's what we're going to do next week. And then the following week, George Smith, missionary uh, from Uganda, will be with us and he's going to talk to us a little more about the church that we uh, have committed to help uh, and build the walls. I was with George yesterday, and he, uh, he showed me some more pictures and uh, gave me a little video that we're going to share, and then he'll preach. And uh, I want to encourage you to be here. And then, of course, we have Christmas Eve. Sunday is on a Christmas Eve. Eve, or rather Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. Sundays came first, amen. First day of the week came first, the Lord's Day. I want to encourage you to be here. Uh, Christmas preaching and, and, and seasonal preaching, some preachers love it. I have a pastor friend in Texas, he said it's his favorite thing to do is preach in the holidays. And then there's other preachers, they just struggle through it they they don't appreciate it they don't enjoy it as much as as preaching in April but um i want to uh tell you this i i used to be that way and then i realized that it's not incumbent upon me to come up with anything new one day we were in church singing an old hymn tell me the old old story and i thought you know what? The old, old story is good enough. Amen. I don't have to come up with anything new. There's nothing going to be new out of the Bible. But the Lord did give me something Sunday for Sunday on the 24th. I want you to be a part of. And so come to church on Sunday. We're going to have regular services. Everything's as normal. And then you can go home and cook the sweet potato pies and uh, put them in the car and bring them to my house. Amen. All right. And uh, we'll have the sweet potato pies. But today, why should you come to Christ to receive salvation, the forgiveness of your sin? All of these reasons we mentioned and many more. But one more. Because of the glory of God. So the Lord can receive glory. On that Bethlehem night. As the shepherds were in the fields overlooking their sheep. The Bible tells us that an angel came. And then a host of angels came. And they were saying to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. There will never be peace on earth until God is glorified. And there will never be peace in you until you glorify God in your heart and life. And there never will be the glory of God in you until you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And so you need to be saved today to escape hell, to have a home in heaven because you have offended God with your sin, And because you need a testimony to share. And also because you want to glorify God here on earth. And so, our text says in verse 26, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised, God hath chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to nothing things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who was made of God, or who is made of God unto us wisdom, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption that according as it is written, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. Our text says that God would have no flesh, nothing about us, nothing about us, glory in His presence. He is the one who is glorious. And... Verse 31 says, if we glory, we should glory in the Lord. Our boast should be in the Lord. When we brag, it ought to be bragging about Jesus. When we adore, it ought to be an adoration toward Jesus. And so in this text, I see three reasons why You need to be saved for the glory of God. And uh, they're just basic reasons. I hope they encourage you today. And so let us begin. First of all, God is glorified in His church. God is glorified in His church. Now, folks, I want to tell you, in today's America, the church is struggling Church attendance is way down across the nation. Church attendance, church affiliation in the state of Mississippi is struggling. It's not what it used to be. And many churches have folded. Did you know Mississippi Baptist Convention loses or 25 churches in the Mississippi Baptist Convention every year close its doors? That's 25 churches. Every year, churches that are voluntary, cooperating churches with the Mississippi Baptist Convention close their doors or leave the convention, one or the other. Most of them are closing their doors. Isn't that an amazing thing? So I'm glad you're here. But the church attendance and churches are struggling in America today. God still works through His church. The church has not been raptured because Glenn Lowry's still here. Amen. If the church had been raptured, Glenn would be gone. Y'all agree with that, don't you? There's a few people saying, I just don't know. But God is still working through His church. Now, there is no such thing as a church that is everything it ought to be. There's no such thing as a perfect, completed church. We all have our struggles. First Baptist Ocean Springs might have been a perfect church, but January 1st, 2001, it lost its perfection because that's when you called me as pastor. Amen. I'm honest about it. I believe the biggest problem in First Baptist Church Ocean Springs is me. And if everybody thought that way about themselves, we'd have a stronger church. That's good preaching whether you like it or not. Amen. And so, this church at Corinth that Paul is writing to is far from a perfect Church, it is far from what God would have it to be. That's why they got a letter from Paul. Two letters. Somebody said if Paul were alive today and still writing Scripture, the American church would have 40 letters. (laughs) Amen. But this church had its problems. Now, there's some of them, that the, the problems they had. I, I counted, I, I went through it just the other day again to, to, to count, and, and sometimes my numbers are different, but this last time I counted at least 11 particular problems they were having. 11 problems they were having. And I'm not going to list them all, but uh, I, I'll list a, a, a few of them to you. They, they had the problem of division uh in this chapter 1 he he addresses that problem of division right off the bat and and i love this and and i i just keep thinking what it must have been like on that sunday morning when the pastor at Corinth stood up to read the letter of 1 corinthians they had gotten from paul and they read um about verse 11, where Paul says, It has been declared unto me of all of you, my brethren, by the house of Chloe. I can imagine somebody sitting in front of Mr. Chloe. Turn around and say, "Tattletale, you told on us. And now we get this letter. And then he talks about their division. He says, some of them say, I liked Apollos better than I do Paul. And I like Cephas, who's Peter, better than I do Paul. And and I like so-and-so. I want so-and-so. I like Cole. I like Jay. But I love Dr. Mike. Some of you got that. So they had a problem with division. Then they had a problem of debauchery. They were celebrating sin. In chapter 5, sin was being celebrated. And then they had a problem of, of deliberation. They were taking each other to court in matters that could have been settled. But yet they were going to a pagan, ungodly court, letting lost people decide right and wrong for those who should have the discerning wisdom of the Holy Spirit for right and wrong. They were having problems in their domestic lives. That's chapter 7. They were having problems concerning the dignity of leadership. They were having problems in the decorum of worship. There was a lot of disruption going on in their worship. And they were having doctrinal issues as well. A lot of problems. The church at Corinth was something that was a church that would have been very difficult to go and and, and pastor because of all the problems. They were an imperfect church. But I want to share something with you about the Lord's estimation of this problematic church. Now, you may not be a member of First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, And you might be here just by the providential guidance of God today, and we're so glad you're here. I don't know you, and and maybe I don't know your attitude about the church, but you might have a bad attitude about the church. First Baptist. Or a bad attitude about the church at large. Whatever church it is, and wherever it may be located. And uh, I, I would share this with you. Be very careful about your estimation of the bride of Christ. And then you might be a member of First Baptist, and you might have a burr under your saddle about something. Well, that's because uh, no, nothing's perfect, and you might be exactly right. And you say, "Who's he talking about?" I'm not talking about anybody in particular. I'm just preaching. And you might say, well, uh, I don't like this in my church. Join the club. You don't have the church you want, you have the church you got. That's why we learn the New Testament so we can improve and grow in the Lord and make for a stronger church. Amen. As great as First Baptist is, you wouldn't believe the people who want to pastor First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs. We're very blessed. But I would say to you, be very careful about your estimation of the bride of Christ. Let's look and see what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write about this troubled church. I'm going to read from chapter 1, verse 2. Listen to this. Unto the church of God all its imperfections, all its problems, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace from God Our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf. For the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. That in everything you are enriched by Him. In all utterance and in all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall confirm, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By whom you were called under the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Does it sound like God is saying they'll never get it right? Does it sound like God is saying they'll never glorify me? No, it sounds like God is saying I am glorified in my church because of their position as my bride and my work in them. God is glorified in two ways in the local church within the confines of this text. First of all, by the congregation of redeemed people of God. People who are not perfect, but they are being perfected. People who struggle, but yet they are spiritual in Christ Jesus. And sometimes we are fleshly and carnal, but always the Holy Spirit resides in us and God is at work in us. And God is glorified by the congregation of the redeemed and He's also glorified by the correction of the redeemed. That's why Paul wrote letters so we could get straightened out. That's why The epistles are here in our Bibles. So He can correct us. And by the way, the problems are always the same. They've been that way since Acts chapter 2. And we always have a complete word for us. And so, uh, we watch each other grow in the Lord. And that is glorifying God. So I want to tell you, why should you be saved? You need to be saved so you can be a part of the only living organism on planet earth that intentionally gives God glory, and that's His church. You can't be a member of the church if you're not saved, if you're not born again. You need to give your life to Christ so you can be a part of a church family. You say, well... I'm not saved and I'm a member of this church. You're a member of the entity that meets on 602 North Washington Avenue, Ocean Springs, Mississippi, 39564. But you're not a member of the church, the bride of Christ. You need to be saved. You need to be washed in the blood. You need to be cleansed of your sin. You need to be set on the path to sanctification and growing in the Lord. And that's how God is glorified by His church. But then back to our text, verse 26. God is not only glorified in His church, but He's glorified in His choice. He's glorified in His choice. Look, verse 26 says, You know, not many noble and not many wise have been chosen. Now, it does not say that no wise people... Or no noble people are saved. It just says there's not many. And that is a relative statement. That's a relative statement. Because if you take First Baptist Ocean Springs, uh, we we have uh, a whole lot of nobility and wealth and wisdom, education is what I'm talking about, compared... To other places in the world. So he's not saying nobody who's wealthy. Nobody who's noble. Nobody who's wise in this world. And highly educated is, is saved. It just says uh, relatively speaking. Just not as many are saved. I mean think about it. In the New Testament. I think of Nicodemus. He was a wealthy man. He was a, 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 an educated man. He was a nobleman. And God saved him. I think of Joseph Arimathea. He he was a wealthy man, owned a garden outside the walls of Jerusalem. He was an educated man. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. And God saved him. I think of the Apostle Paul. Paul was one of the greatest minds of his day and of our day. A literary genius. And God saved him. God saved him. Saved him and made him an apostle. But then he says, relatively speaking, there's just not as many of those kind of folks as there are of these other kind of folks who who come to Christ. And he gives us five types of people who make up the majority of those who were saved in the whole world. And it's real interesting because these are the kind of folks they start out knowing they need something. Right? A lot of folks in America today don't think they need anything. Why, why should I be saved? Why do I need a Savior? I, I got three cars, I, I, got, I got 10 rooms in my house, I, I got a 401k. I've I, I, I called that 1 800 number and bought gold. I, I've got everything I need. I, I'm, I, I'm 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 going to eat and have more food. I'm going to throw away more food over lunch today than most people in the world will have in a month to eat. Why do I need something? Because they only think of the temporal, not the spiritual, and all that stuff's going to burn up one day. But God gives us five groups of people that that he that know they need something. And this is where God has brought you about yourself. And so let's look at it. First of all, he says, God has chosen the foolish things. This is contrasted to the wisdom of the world. This is, uh, he, he's saying those who are not of the intelligentsia. We would say these who are uneducated. I think of Peter and John who were preaching one day and the wisdom of the world said, Who are these unlearned and ignorant men? A matter of fact, that text says in the book of Acts, Who are these unlearned and ignorant men? It says, But we know they've been with Jesus. That's a powerful statement. And then he goes on, he says, The weak things. God has chosen the weak things. Th- these are... People who cannot help themselves. I I think of the man in the temple. Who was begging in the temple. And he couldn't walk. He was lame. And and Peter and John went to the temple to pray. And he was begging. And they looked down at him. and, And they said, Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I thee. Rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus. And the Lord healed him and so the gospel could be preached and he, could, and he would have faith to be saved and, and God saved him and he was walking and leaping and praising God but he was weak before Jesus got a hold of him. I think of the lame man in John 5 who looked up at the Lord and said, no man is helping me and I can't, I can't do it on my own. I need help. I'm too weak and the Lord saved him and so the weak thing and then, the word says in our text, the base things God has chosen the base things. The word base means low-born, not the noble ones. Now, this is not politically correct word. in, in our culture, we we wouldn't uh, we're politically correct. We wouldn't call anybody base or low-born, but but. God's Word says He's chosen those who are low-born. And I think of the shepherds in the Christmas story. They, they were low-born. As a matter of fact, they were so low on the, on the scale in society that, that they couldn't even testify in court. Because they, people say, well, they all lie. They, they, you know, we're not going to let them testify in court. And so the low-born, I think of the shepherds, but it was to the shepherds that the angels appeared. You ever an a- angel appear like that to you? Nope. And then he says, "The despised, those that are despised." That's what he says. Those are chosen. I, I think of uh, Zacchaeus. One of my favorite Bible characters is Zacchaeus. Remember the little song we used to sing? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. That's as close to a song as you'll ever get out of me. But old Zacchaeus climbed up that sycamore tree because he couldn't get to Jesus. The King James says because of the press. You got to watch out for the press, they're messing everything up. That's talking about a crowd. He couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. And he was the chief tax collector. And he climbed up in a sycamore tree. And Jesus was passing by. And he went to this despised man to the base of that tree. And said, Zacchaeus, come down from I'm going to go to your house today. And the Lord saved him and changed his life. Gave him a testimony. And so I think of Zacchaeus. I think of Matthew, despised tax collector. And you, you might be somebody, you, you don't think anybody likes you. You don't think anybody cares about you. Maybe you're a young person here and you have that feeling about yourself. Well, I want to tell you what, Jesus loves you. And everybody at First Baptist Church who's right with God and filled with the Holy Spirit loves you too. And so, despise. And then he says, the things that are not. He says, God has chosen the things that are not. The word not means nothing. And he's talking about people who live their lives, and in the eyes of everybody else, they're as if they do not exist. Can you believe that? You know, today we call this those who are depressed. Those who struggle. Those who are discouraged and distraught. And so, he says God has chosen them. He's chosen a lot of them. I think of uh, the woman in the crowd. Jesus was on his way to a rich man's house. Remember, a leader's house, a nobleman's house. And the crowd is all around. And through the crowd, this woman pushes through and touches the hem of his garment. Who touched me? And the disciples said, Lord, how in the world are we going to know it's a big crowd? Whoever did it, we don't know anything about them. We don't even know they exist. And then this woman steps up. And I want to tell you what she existed then. And the Lord saved her. I woke up this morning and Jeremiah was on my mind. So I finished reading in my Bible that time, my devotional time. I finished reading the book of Jeremiah today. Closed out with Jeremiah. Everybody's heard about Jeremiah some of you woke up this morning and you said, We're going, I'm going to be reading Paul. And you might have gone to Romans or you might have gone to Corinthians. You might have gone to Galatians. Some of you woke up this morning in your devotional life and, you're in, and, the, and the apostle John was on your mind. And you went to John. Some of you woke up this morning and, and Moses was on your mind and you're, you're, you're plowing through Leviticus. Doing your best. Some of you might be in Obadiah. Some of you woke up and said, after yesterday's rain, Jonah's on my mind, or Noah, and you studied Jonah, Noah. But I promise you, there's not a single person in this room who got up this morning and thought of a man by the name of Persis. Not a one of you thought of Persis. Not a one of you thought of how a blessing Persis is, or was. Not of you one of you. But do you know what? He's nothing to you. He's nothing to you. If you've read your Bible through, you've read his name. But he's so inconsequent. He's as if he doesn't exist because he's just a couple of lines. But let me, let me show you something. Go to Romans 16 real quick. Uh, and, and I want to show you this nothing, nobody. Persis. Romans chapter 16, verse 12. I'm going to read it for you real quick. Paul, that, by the way, this is one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. I have, I have, a, I have a whole lot of sermons from Romans, 12, uh, Romans 16. It's a great text. And he says, Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. Did any of you get up and think about them? They're twins. They're twins. So, anybody? No. Who labor in the Lord. And then greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Now, Cole, he's a nobody. But Paul, or rather the Holy Spirit, made sure that Paul would tell us that Persis was loved and he labored. And he put his name in the Bible. Is your name in the Bible? Mine's not because the Bible's already been written. Your name's not in there because it's already been written. But Persis made the book. He made the inspired book. Isn't it wonderful that God chose the nothings? It's as if He doesn't exist until today. And so God is somebody who, who, who takes the nobodies and makes them somebody. So they can tell everybody about our Savior. And so that's purses. These are the people, these five groups are the people that know they need something. They know their lives are not what they were meant to be. They know there's a higher way of life. And it's Jesus. And these are the kind of people. And if you are wealthy and noble and wise in this earth and on this earth and in this world, that's okay. Because God says, I will show you that you really are foolish. I will show you that you really are base. I will show you that you really are despised and nothing. Because that's how you become poor in spirit. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to us. And that brings us to the next thing. God is glorified in Christ. This verse 30 is one of my favorite verses of the Bible. If you ever lack confidence in your salvation, you study 1 John to gain assurance, but study 1 Corinthians 1.30 to gain confidence. Notice what it says, But of Him, referring to God who has chosen us in Christ, but of Him are you in Christ. God has put you in Christ Jesus. Your prayer didn't do it. Your sincerity didn't do it. God has done it. God has done this work. It is God who has saved you by putting you in Christ Jesus. Have confidence in your salvation. And then it says, Who of God, Jesus, who of God is made unto us? And he says he's made unto us wisdom. This is God's convincing work in salvation. God sent his son Jesus in the incarnation to walk among men and to show us God's standard, to show us his love, to show us who he is. You know, God sent his son and he is the standard. And so read Matthew and read Mark and read Luke and read John and read the life of Christ and His attitude and His actions, His, His affirmations, His annunciations, His person, His preaching. Read all about Christ. And then you gain wisdom that way. You gain wisdom, first of all, because you see God's standard. And then you gain wisdom because you see your sin. And if there's ever been one moment in your life where you were not like Jesus, you're a sinner. And that's the wisdom of God. That's how He has made unto you wisdom. To show us we're sinners. He fulfilled the law, we can't meet the law. And then it says, He has made unto us righteousness. I love that. Christ... God has made Christ unto us righteousness. We know that on the cross, He died for our sins. What does that mean? It means that while He was on the cross, God the Son had our sin laid upon Him by God the Father. And that's when He died. God can't die. So He became man to take our sins. And on the cross, the wages, just like in life, the wages of sin is death. And when Jesus became sin for us, He died. And fellowship with God was broken. But if you would come to Christ today in humble repentance of your sin, by His grace, through faith in Christ, what He has done at the cross and in the grave and in the resurrection, you can come to Christ and God will take the righteousness of Jesus and place it on you. And that's what God will see. Isn't that a wonderful thing? God will see the righteousness of Jesus on you. Not your sin. Because God has made Him righteousness unto us. And then it says God has made Him sanctification. That's the life of growth. That's the converting work. So you have the convincing work, you have the converting work, and in sanctification, you have the continuing work of salvation. Salvation is more than just saying a prayer and and accepting Christ and being saved. A prayer never saved anybody. Salvation is a work that is begun by God in you, in Christ, and it is a continuing work. You are just as if you've never sinned, and you are also sanctified. You are becoming more and more like Jesus. Salvation is a continual work of God. Many people today doubt their salvation because they've been taught all their life that you were saved when you prayed to receive Christ, and so you were. But we have failed to teach the doctrine of sanctification. Not only were you saved, but you are being saved, and you are growing in the Lord, God doesn't just save you and say, Okay, just wait until Resurrection Day. You're done. Go on. No. God continues to work in you. There's a lot of people sitting in the churches. Somewhere down the line, they prayed a little prayer, signed the card, got wet in the baptistry, and God hadn't done a single thing in them since because they really weren't saved. Because I want to tell you what, if you're really saved, He convinced you of your sin And he converted you by his righteousness and he continues to work in you through sanctification. That's it. Amen. And I want to tell you about Mike Barnett. When he gets off the path God has of growth and all that, he puts the whooping on me. That's part of my sanctification too. And so what has God done in your life since that day you were saved? Is he still working in you? My very first funeral was a little five-year-old girl who, who would sing in our church. Her daddy was my minister of music. And she was five years old when she passed away. It was my first funeral. Can you, I think I was about 20 years old, just turned 20 or so. And Can you imagine a 20-year-old trying to handle that? But I want to tell you, she would get up and sing that little old song uh, that uh, you might have heard. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, but he's still working on me. Well, I want to tell you, when you get saved, I was saved in 1971, and he's still working on me. Because that's what he does in his saved folks. He works on them, and in them, and through them. And so don't get this idea that you can pray a prayer and say, Okay, hallelujah, and that's all. God's going to do a work in you. Amen? And you know that. That's why you're here. And then it says He has made unto us redemption. Redemption. This is God's completed work. What's He talking about redemption? Well, when you were saved, you were redeemed from your sin. You were no longer a slave to sin. You can choose to follow the Lord and, and the righteousness of God in, in the practical ways of your life. You can, can win the victory in Jesus every moment of your spiritual life and Christian life. But that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about redemption here is he's talking about the redemption of our bodies. He's talking about the completed work of our salvation. You remember we started talking about how imperfect the church is? Well, you know why the church is imperfect? Because it's got imperfect Christians in it. God's not through with us. But one day He's going to redeem our bodies. Whether it be in rapture or resurrection, He's going to redeem our bodies. And this body of sin will be glorified in the Lord and our salvation will be complete. It was commenced the day you were saved, the moment you were saved. It is continuing since then. And one day it will be complete. One day it will be complete. I do not know when that day will be. But it is a day that is coming just as sure as He is working in His people now and saves them when they call upon Him to be saved. And so, that is why you need to be saved. That is how God will get glory and His ultimate glory in you. is through this salvation work and salvation process and this salvation Promise. It's the only way to glorify God. So I would ask you on this December Sunday: Are you one hundred percent certain that if you died today, are you one hundred percent certain if you died today you'd go to heaven? Do you have that kind of assurance? If you don't, something is amiss. Something's wrong. You're gambling with hell and heaven. You're gambling with eternity. And you don't want to lose. So why don't you do this? If you're not 100% certain, we're going to do what we call in the Baptist church an invitation. And I'm going to be standing right here by this microphone. And Cole will be standing up here. Jay's going to be come up and he's going to lead us in a song. The music just... Helps us focus on the Lord. It, it, it causes us to quit getting our purses and wallets and everything together and coats together. And it, we focus on the Lord and we pray. But you, if you're not 100% certain, if you died today, you'd go to heaven, you don't need to sing. You need to step out in one of these aisles and walk down here and say, Cole, I need assurance. Or, preacher, I need assurance. And we'll take it from there and help you and answer your questions and show you in the Word of God where you can have that assurance of the work of God in your life for salvation. Maybe you're not a member of our church and it's time to unite with our church. You're saved, you've been biblically baptized by immersion in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, believing it's a picture of your salvation and a profession of your faith and And you're ready and you need to unite. Well, you're invited. Now is the invitation. You come as the Spirit leads. And God will honor it. God will honor it. Let's stand for our song of appeal and our invitation. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. Our confidence is in what God has done in Christ. And if we would just be obedient to the gospel. And come to Jesus today, we can have that confidence. That's why we need to be saved through Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. You come as a Spirit lead.